Hello and welcome to the Cultural Peeps podcast. My name is Ian Wielden and I'm a lecturer in the School of Arts and Cultures at Newcastle University. This series is part of an ongoing project which explores different career pathways across the museum, gallery, heritage and wider cultural sectors. I really want this series to do three things. The first is to help early career professionals understand the huge range of ever-changing job profiles that now exist. The second aim is to help those professionals interpret job titles in the context of different venues and organisations. Sometimes jobs with the same title can be radically different depending on the organisation. The third aim is to help listeners understand that the people that make up any field of work are all human and that in turn plays a significant part in their unfolding career pathway and decision-making processes. A few caveats. The recordings that form the basis for the podcasts aren't technically perfect. They're often grabbed in busy offices and in between meetings, so you can frequently hear the everyday world of work whirring on in the background. Just a final note, these podcasts are edited down from longer conversations, but I've tried to keep in as much of the original content as possible. Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Cultural Peeps podcast. I'm outside 36 Lime Street in the Usburn Valley in Newcastle, which is where I interviewed today's guest, and that's the Newcastle and Gateshead-based artist Paul Merritt. 36 Lime Street's a really fascinating site, and it's a part of the cultural fabric of Newcastle. It's the oldest and largest studio group in the northeast, and it houses over 40 artists, makers, designers, sculptors, jewellers, graphic designers, and photographers. I've known today's guest Paul for around 20 years but I've only really worked with him in the last 10 years or so, so from about 2008 onwards. Paul used to teach in our art museum and gallery education MA and as part of that programme we gave students the opportunity to programme and deliver a learning and education event at Baltic Centre for Contemporary Art in Gateshead. At the start of today's conversation I asked Paul how he defines himself and his own practice which initially is as an artist, something that comes through as being really important to him and as a practicing artist Paul is represented by Workplace, a gallery based in Gateshead and London and through that we go on to talk about his solo shows, commissions that he's undertaken and how that all fits together to create a career in the cultural sector. As mentioned earlier, alongside his own practice, Paul has a hugely versatile range of skills and he's great at working with different audiences on visual arts-based projects, which is one of the reasons why he finds himself in demand in an educational setting, so regularly working with galleries and museums like Baltic Centre for Contemporary Art and Woodhorn Museum, as well as guest lecturing at Newcastle and Northumbria Universities. We talk about the public perception of artists and why he wanted to become an artist and what that looks and feels like as a career choice and in that part of the conversation Paul makes reference to a Gerald Scarf documentary called Scarf on Art which originally aired on the BBC in 1991. I hadn't seen this documentary before the interview but it covers the explosion in the art market in the late 80s and early 90s. I've put a link to this film in the podcast description if you're interested in taking a look, something that I'd really recommend. 
A quick note about the sound of this recording. The conversation took place in Paul's studio, which is why it's a little bit echoey, so please excuse that. I don't think it affects things too much. I opted for the studio because I really love going there. There's always something interesting and exciting to see. On this occasion there were lots of different sized felt covered card tables and they were all different shades of green. Some had faded through the passage of time, some through direct exposure to sunlight. Paul had used those to make a sort of sculptural painting or installation which was called Below the Line. Again I've popped a link into the podcast description if you're interested in what that looks like. Through that link you can also explore Paul's website which features more of his work and a biography. I've also tried to put as many links as possible to things that we've either talked about or mentioned in the podcast, so if you do want a bit more information about something, then that's a good place to start. Don't forget you can follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud and Facebook using the handle at Cultural Peeps. And if you want a bit more information about the Careers Pathway project or about any of the conversations or participants, then there's a project blog which is available at culturalpeeps.wordpress.com. So, after a tour of the studio, where I got to see some of his current and past work, we made a pot of coffee and settled down for a chat. I hope you find it interesting and useful. So, thank you for joining me today, Paul. If you could introduce yourself and describe what it is that you currently do. My name's Paul Merrick, and I'm an artist. I'm not just an artist, uh, I suppose I'm an, an educator, a lecturer, um, a freelance artist, um, I'm not a local artist, <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, and I'm not a community artist, um, these are sort of labels which I kind of make me kind of cringe a little bit, um, but I do other types of teaching, so I do... Um, I teach both at Newcastle University and just recently Northumbria University. I've had a long relationship with Baltic Centre for Contemporary Art, um, where I've been a freelance artist delivering work workshops and art sessions across all age groups um, since the learning, since Baltic became Baltic, uh, an art gallery. I've also worked across different organisations within the Northeast. I've had commission opportunities and created private sector commissions for Northern Rock. Yeah, so many different types of kind of educational kind of hats. Um, but at the top of that, I'm, I am an artist, I'm a practicing artist where I have a contemporary, um, I exhibit and sell my work on occasions. <laughs> and that tends to be sort of through a contemporary art gallery, an independent contemporary art gallery called Workplace Gallery that's based in Gateshead and they've also have a gallery in London. Would you primarily introduce yourself as an artist in the first instance? Yes, <laughs> I do, I would. Yeah. I think it's really important and that's ever since kind of graduating, that's what I've always wanted to do or that's what I set out to do was to carve out a kind of career where I exhibit my work, yeah. I show my work on those kind of platforms, in those spaces, to those audiences. Um, and the teaching and the learning side of things is equally as important. You know, I, I, I approach it um, in the same kind of passion, if you like, and enthusiasm 
and they also they do kind of cross over. So so we'll talk. I know we're going to talk about that a bit later on. But my I suppose my approach is to how I deliver my education work. Yeah. Um, in places like Baltic and Woodhorn um, Museum is very much as a practicing artist as opposed to a teacher or an yeah. art teacher. You, you kind of put a caveat in when you were picking words to describe what you did and said that some of them felt a little bit cringy. Yeah. So, so how are they unimportant to you, those labels? Are they just words that are used to define an opportunity? I think I think maybe it's just that audiences don't are not really kind of aware of what an artist what an artist does and and also an artist who might be kind of delivering education work and I feel as though there are um, people who are very kind of comfortable and happy to kind of describe themselves as a community artist yeah. uh, or a, a local artist um, but not me um, I, I think I think maybe it's just a kind of a, a cliche that. They expect it to be something that I'm not. Right. And do you, do you put those two things in separate compartments, so your own practice and then the work that you do with audiences and with communities? Do, do you find it easy to separate those things off or are you thinking about the other thing whilst you're doing it? <laughs> How do they cross over? I don't know. It's hard. To, it's hard to sort of say, really, because um, there's some there's some things that I will deliver that are so far removed from um, from what I do. You know, I can think yeah. of like you know making big vegetables <laughs> put, um, for the miners' picnic. Yeah, you know that's quite far removed from what I do in my own kind of practice. Yeah, but there's also elements within that that's um, to do with making and being playful with materials that is similar to an approach that I would have in my own practice but so it's it's hard to delineate them yeah that, yeah um and yet I'll do sort of something that might be to do with observational drawing um that will have very much experimental approaches to it yeah that will be kind of far removed from something that uh, a community artist might sort of deliver yeah uh, um, if that, it does, yeah. If that See, you, you said one of the things that you said was that from graduation, this is what you wanted to do, yeah, and to carve this, yeah. this kind of role out for yourself. Is that something that you've always wanted to do? Have you always wanted to be an artist as a as a child, or as a teenager? Um, I wouldn't say I was wanted to be an art. I didn't know that I could be an artist. That's something that I've always actually tell young children when I'm um, working with them is that I am an artist, that's my job. Um, yeah. But, as, but as, a, as a child myself, I wasn't sort of directed towards that, I, that, that occupation. It was just, it was a subject and it was a subject that I was, you know, passionate about yeah. and constantly sort of drawing and looking and making things. So were you doing that with other subjects as well or did, was, did art move to a forefront for you quite early on. Yeah, I think it did. Um, I sort of struggled with kind of English for, you know, for a while. But it also, I think it was the... But certain sort of English teachers uh, enabled me to, I don't know, kind of come out, come out a little bit or em- embrace the sort of subject. So there was, 
there was other subjects, creative sort of subjects as well. I I enjoyed sort of sport as well, kind of growing up. Yeah. But um, and we had an art history option as well. I remember for for A level. Um, I mean, I was, you know, I just I worked hard at school. You know, I did kind of. Just I just I sort of scraped my kind of my GCSE sort of maths and things, um, and and did A level English as well. Um, but um, but it was always art that was the kind of the constant or the thing that. Uh, yeah. And we when you picked those subjects, if you can remember this, when you picked those, did you did you have an idea about where this might be going, or were you making those selections because they were things that interested you and that you felt passionate about, or that you might be particularly good at? I guess. Um, I think I knew that I wanted to do a foundation course. I'd heard about foundation courses probably at GCSE. Right. Um, and uh, and I think yeah I wanted to go to art school as well. So you, that was quite early on. Yeah, you made yeah. that decision. And were there were there any influences that were in the background there that helped with that? I th- I had a um, I had a, a couple of fantastic art teachers um, for both GCSE and then going on to A level, uh, who created a a, fan- a fantastic kind of environment within within the classroom right. um for for a group of group of students who were equally as, as ambitious right. um pushing each other on that's um, really good that's yeah kind of really um, the environment and sort of playing off of each other and i think also the, the the teacher just gave us a lot of responsibility or um could sort of see our passion and our ability and just encouraged it encouraged it through scale of work through artists that um they were both kind of, or there was two there was sort of like bob reed we just called him, just called him bob uh mr reed and then um and then another teacher <laughs> first names yeah i was yeah, yeah yeah we used to uh oh yeah sort of hang out kind of you know we used to kind of he also instilled or he sort of set up a, a life drawing class during a levels as well which was sort of off curriculum yeah you know it was a night class uh, on a wednesday night that we would go to and uh, again it was this kind of core of friends uh who would all sign up and attend right so we got that discipline or that uh that new skill of of life drawing yeah yeah um that never kind of happened before at the school so did you see those classrooms as a as a, a or, or the, the classroom the art classroom as a different environment within that school setting yeah, the the rooms themselves were interestingly they were they were, they sort of dated back to the sort of the war time. Right. There were these um, long kind of cabin rooms that were just they were they're nothing sort of special, but they within it they kind of housed that was where the art department mm-hmm. or my art where I d- delivered my kind of art was. So um, do you, do you think that you behave differently in those classrooms? I guess is what I'm asking there. To, as opposed to some of the other subjects that I think so. Although I mean, I mentioned kind of English before. I know yeah. that I had Mr. Thomas was an English teacher who uh, kind of got me, you know, in this in that sort of sense, and could sort of see that I was really interested in kind of performing as well. And so right. I mean, he'd do lots of improvisation stuff and acting and things like this, which I really enjoyed. Um, yeah, it was it was sort of different, but I think most art rooms they have that yeah something about them. Yeah, that's yeah, right. That, that, and I think that art teachers also have a little bit. Interesting with kind of with Bob was that he used to all, always draw as well. Um, with you in the classroom? With us. Oh, wow. Giving it, yeah, yeah, as well as outside. He would, uh, 
you know, so he would be doing uh, the life drawing, for example. He would be doing life drawing as well of yeah. his own work, and also in his you know spare time, which would be in the classroom. Yeah. Or uh, so we were kind of like looking and sort of seeing how he was drawing, how he was looking. Oh, that's really the techniques that he was using with kind of painting and things like that. Because quite often, certainly at high school, I think some teachers can hide that that bit of their practice. Yeah. Yeah. Or they don't. Or you don't see what the output is, whereas seeing that process is really yeah. healthy, I think. So he was doing these, these amazing kind of drawings and things like that, which just sort of like hook you. Yeah. And then, you know, introducing sort of de Kooning and sort of Picasso and certain, you know, and also kind of going back to kind of Vermeer. And all, so already kind of instilling an art history kind of context to sort yeah. of what we were doing. Did you have influence in the decision making from home at all? within that process not really just supportive parents who could sort of see that this was something that you know that I loved and wanted to do yeah. and so allowing you to make the decisions yeah. you went yeah and was there any kind of career guidance available to you throughout that that you remember anyway no no nothing like that no no I told you was, should be an accountant well yeah the, there was there was this kind of really kind of dated sort of tick box form things or something I remember um, which would you'd sort of fill them in and then they'd yeah. process them lumberjack before yeah <laughs> but, or it would be more um, uh, graphic, graphic, graphic design yes graphic, graphic designer design. yeah or yeah. illustrator and it's like yeah. oh what's that oh so like a formalised version uh, an acceptable career version exactly of yeah. Yeah. yeah but yeah. never you, you can be an artist. You, you could be, be an artist <laughs> and all of those terms that you mentioned. Yeah, no, nothing, nothing like that. And in many ways, you know, I mean, even with kind of art teachers, you know, or with kind of Bob, you know, he was he was still an art teacher. Yeah. So that, that, that was a, a, a path, but not really a path that I was kind of quite, yeah. I don't know. So we, we... But then when I got to sort of foundation course, where uh, I did away from home, um, oh right, so you moved away for that. Yeah, That's not, quite not, not too far. It was unusual, yeah, but it was it was too far to kind of commute. I didn't have access to a car, so I lived with a family for a year in a sort of a rented wow. yeah rented room at the top of their house, and could kind of come and go as I pleased. Um, and uh, and so I suppose that was then the first indication of also again another uh, a few t- teachers in particular who were influential in sort of seeing that they were kind of exhibiting and showing their work. Right. Um, but in a similar way to what, and also that practical side of things with delivering and physically making their art or giving, yeah. doing examples of drawings or paintings Yeah. in order to kind of illustrate. So were you headed into a, a particular discipline at that point or were you playing with materials in a... In I think it was always, point? yeah, it was always fine art. So it was always... Painting, sculpture, printmaking, drawing, right. as opposed to the kind of graphics. Yeah, I think for GCSE, I'd done a couple of different strands. I'd done a graphic strand with something else. Yeah, um, but then with A level, it was because of the uh, because of Bob's sort of teaching. It was sort of pure. Uh, so that influenced fine. you in that sense. Yeah, into, yeah, but you know, and, and so it was. Painting, yeah, it was oil painting on canvas and uh, big boards. Yeah. So this is a tricky question. Did you at at this point? You may or may not remember, but 
were you aware of the broader art world in terms of like an infrastructure other than maybe big museums that you could go to and have a look at work was that starting to play a role for you there not really kind of i suppose living artists um but the canon was of art historical figures i suppose yeah because you'd look back at Cezanne or the post-impressionists and you know these figures who created carved out their kind of careers you know in in solitude or something and yeah yeah, that um, what is it yeah the the artist kind of Garrett in the uh, in in Francis Bacon sort of style of the romanticism of the sort of studio and things like this so I suppose there was that I do remember um, watching this Gerald Scarf sort of documentary about contemporary art, which was a bit of a, I suppose, a revelation. It was, um, and he was interviewing Ian Davenport. That sounds a, like a South Bank show. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, yeah. And, um, but he then, and, uh, who was an artist I didn't know, but there was Gerald Scarf in this young artist's studio. And yeah. he would have been, you know, just after kind of graduating, so he probably <laughs> would have been about sort of, I don't know, 25 or something, that maybe kind of like younger. And he produced this, he had this kind of huge canvas on the wall and he kind of, he, um, he had a toilet roll, uh, no, not, um, no, he had a toilet roll brush, toilet brush. And he created these little marks on this kind of canvas, like sort of 10 marks, stood on a, stood on a step and just did these whole gestures and then, then sort of stood back and Gerald Scarf then kind of came in and sort of said, oh, you know, are you happy with this piece of work? And, and you remember that? I remember, I remember it, yeah, because I remember talking to my art, uh, to, to, to Bob, right. <laughs> my art teacher, about it. Because Ian Davenport then sort of said, yeah, I'm happy with that. Uh, I think it's finished. And then the next kind of clip of, the, of this um, documentary was um, Waddington, the, the gallerist, uh, who was then talking about Ian Davenport's paintings going for sort of £5,000 or something like that. And it just sort of like, what? Hold on a sec. <laughs> you know, I just sort of, but, 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 but that was the first. And so I was. I, That's really interesting. I don't remember having the conversation with Bob about it um, as far as um, what's that about? Or, yeah. or, or, or as a kind of career. But I suppose that was an indication of, as to a, an artist who was making a living. Yeah. Okay. Selling kind of work. So how old were you then at that point? Oh, doing A levels. Okay. So, 16, 17, 18. Yeah, yeah. You, you went to foundation course and, and went away. Obviously, you were on the route, I, I presume, in your head towards the university if you'd done a foundation course. Yes, yeah. foundation course was brilliant. Um, met some good people. Living away from home was fantastic. Um, just carrying on kind of painting, really. Um, pushing on my practice kind of like more. Yeah. Um, and uh, had some good tutors that just enabled me to do that. Um, and then sort of started to apply for, um, uh, yeah, for art school, for degrees. Um, I'd, I'd made a decision that I didn't want to go to London. I'm originally from Oxfordshire and I don't know, I think I just sort of felt as though maybe I'd heard that certain London art schools had a, um, more of a sort of a style. Yeah, prescriptive yeah. style. It might be kind of more of a conceptual. And yeah. uh, I just wanted to kind of carry on. Playing. Of, yeah, sort of, about, I wanted to carry on sort of like painting. Yeah. Um, 
and thought that that might be jeopardised in some kind of way, or I don't know. That's quite interesting, isn't it? I, don't, I say jeopardised. I don't. I, I, I just sort of. Also, I didn't really want to live in London. Um, mm. I thought it was a bit too close to home. <laughs> <laughs> was your foundation fairly close to home? Yeah, it was. It was North Oxford. It was Banbury, so it right. was. Uh, it was like forty-five minutes away. Safe, safety, safety version of being at home. Away yeah, from home. yeah, yeah. But good, it's got a stepping stone. Yeah. And then, <laughs> yeah. Then I applied to Newcastle, and I didn't kind of quite realise how far <laughs> north uh, Newcastle was until I kind of came up. I actually came up for the interview. That was the first time that I'd uh, been to the city and sort of saw the department. Yeah, and then I went and uh, remember the interview quite well and answered the questions. And they, they had postcards that, I, you know, I nailed them because my art history was, yeah. you know, I was just absorbing everything. Oh, right, so they were testing you on... Yeah, they just sort of showed like a handful of like... Um, Who's this? Postcards, yeah, do you recognise this? And so... That's quite interesting. Yeah. So a little test of your... Yeah. Either art history or critical Something like abilities. that, That's yeah. Quite... And they offered me a place, not there, but there and then. But um, and uh, I'd sort of, I don't know. I just, I just really loved the studios as well. I thought the building was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and of course, the numbers of people were a lot, lot different then to what they are now. Yeah. Probably half of, half the amount of people. Yeah. Um, so Newcastle is quite an interesting one in that you could argue because it's a four-year course yeah. that you, you're almost kind of. It's almost like another foundation because of the way that the first, oh, certainly then, the way yes. the first year was working. See, how was that before you come in from a foundation? Did that give you confidence in that? I think it, it probably did, uh, knowing a little bit what to expect. Yeah. Um, and just embracing, you know, more, more studio time. And obviously there was going to be more different tutors there, so they were going to have a different approach. Yeah. Um, so it didn't bother me at all. And... Uh, I probably think that most people who were doing three-year courses were probably quite jealous of the, the four-year yeah, option yeah. At, uh, at Newcastle. Yeah. Again, as you move through that process, did you specialise at any point throughout your degree? Um, I think I still had this thing that I was, I was a, I'm a painter, and so I was almost like rejected right. or, or, or just didn't embrace sculpture, Yeah. which I regret. I, I wish I'd, um, in hindsight, or looking back, just tried a few more things, learned some, exper- you know, learned some techniques. Yeah. Um, but maybe I was just, just had that. That mindset. Yeah. Did you, can you pinpoint that? Where that Was that a foundation thing? Is that just that you'd come through from school at being good at something? Maybe. And maybe it, it was that, yeah. Maybe just I just had a real, and, and all of the artists that were my heroes were all painters right um, so were you exhibiting whilst you were an undergrad at all only the long gallery um, which is a, a sort of space within the department yeah. now teaching in Newcastle and sort of seeing how how many opportunities there are for undergraduates to show their work yeah. in or the, the encouragement to sort of show their work in the department as well as outside the department is something that wasn't kind of really there. The infrastructure wasn't sort of like there yeah. or... Roughly when, when, when we were Newcastle years? Uh, 93 to 97. Right. So you're kind of pre that little golden window of funding that happened. Probably, yeah, yeah. 
people will be upset when I say that. But, but then... I think, I kind of say, you know, like, you know, 2000 through to about 2007, this was kind of infrastructure developed kind of quite yeah, quickly there. Yeah, but that was also important in, in me staying in the northeast as well, that funding, yeah. because when I graduated, um, Baltic was on the horizon, but as a, you know, this is going to happen, yeah. this is going to become a, a contemporary art gallery, um, and so there was an awareness of things are going to happen, things are going to change. So you'd had the, the year, year of the visual arts had taken place in Gateshead by that point. Yeah, and I think that also Vane, uh, yeah. in its original sort of, uh, model, yeah. had, uh, had been, again, just about to sort of pick up momentum in yeah. allowing for exhibitions in those disused sort of spaces across the yeah. sort of city and Gateshead as well. So did you have a, a studio alongside the studio at Newcastle at any point or was that you just kind of carried on? No, I didn't. I mean, um, after graduating, I then went home and uh, earned some money. I then returned back to the northeast after Christmas and uh, lodged with um, mates who were still that's, do, doing their... That's quite uh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, still doing, their, still doing their degrees. Yeah. Um, and uh, and start, start trying to sort of pick things up. Yeah. Um, so to, to go home and then come back is quite. Well, I was you know I was sort of skint, <laughs> as most you know not as skint as probably a, a lot of graduating artists uh, students are these yeah, days. Yeah. But um, but I had a job. I um, I I was working in a psychiatric hospital. Um, where I'd worked during my holidays, during my university years, um, and it was paid well, and uh, so that's I didn't know that at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and that's kind of what I did when I returned was I I saw, I looked out for those particular types of work as well. So I right. got signed up to a kind of a bank system where I would be able to sort of go into. So I so I worked at Saint Nick's Hospital in uh, yeah. in Newcastle for. A number of years, um, and also other institutions and different types of. I did some nursing as well. Right. That was a bit strange. Uh, <laughs> um, Were you attracted to that kind of work because it was working with people? Well, yeah, I think I, I was. But my mum had also my mum had worked within this hospital, this, this psychiatric hospital in uh, in Oxfordshire, and uh, and she knew the nurses and a lot of. The, the people um, within the hospital and just put a good word in for me. I went for an interview and they, they offered me these sort of support worker role. Yeah. I think I was a cleaner to begin with for like the first sort of like summer, which was all right. You know, then I kind of got sort of promo- not promoted, but like they saw your potential. Did less, did less mop work and more, more <laughs> engaging with, the, uh, with, uh, with the clients. Yeah. Um, which is which is what I loved, you know. So there were some fantastic kind of characters, and it was a real learning curve by way of interacting. And I think I had a lot. It influenced me in lots of different ways in how I engage with uh, with people, how yeah. I sort of deliver and sort of speak to people, because I was dealing with men and women who had had long term problems with their mental health and uh, were quite damaged in some respects. Um, but whose behaviour would sort of like dip up and down so you wouldn't necessarily kind of know what to expect from, from day to day or you'd be certainly kind of made aware of their yeah. stability 
Um, and you, so you carried that on. I didn't, so you did that through university, kind of in the background. Yeah. I'm assuming that was up, up. Did you do that up here as well as, as down at home? Well, I used to go home for my holidays yeah. and then work back at the hospital. I'd pick up like an Amazon short right. contract for a couple of months or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then return back to university, yeah. do some shifts over Christmas, that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I did after graduating, you know, earn some money and then looked into doing similar things up here. Right. Um, so there was at that point, I think cause that's quite an interesting decision making process, isn't it? To, to come back to Newcastle and to potentially you had this thing that you you were able to earn money with and yeah. had a bit of stability. So you obviously had the aspiration underneath that to Well I didn't know anywhere you know, why would I go to Oxford? Yeah. A place that was just unfamiliar. Yeah, where yeah. I lived in the village in Oxfordshire. You know, I didn't I wasn't sort of I wasn't like a sort of city Oxford sort of city. Yeah, yeah. So I you didn't were. know what was going on by way of an art scene. Yeah. And it felt sort of strange and also so expensive. Yeah. And so why would I kind of go back there and base myself and try and work there when, hold on a sec, if I go, go back north, yeah, then... Um, but underneath that, you, you still had that wanting to be a practitioner in some way. Yes, yeah. I think, yeah, that's because some people kind of get lured away when they start earning money. Sure. It's to make a step into the unknown, especially as a practicing artist where the thought of a regular income yeah. is, is quite unusual to have a practicing artist certainly in the yeah, early stages it is, of your career but also I think that's key to that, that decision was also my peers my the kind of core of friends who were also fine art graduates yeah. who also wanted who also stayed or made the decision to sort of stay yeah. who like me had sort of seen the possibilities yeah. in the northeast because of places like Baltic because of things that Vane were doing yeah, because there were sort of studios that you could kind of get into and, and use um, and that has really been sort of fundamental in in me being an artist is, yeah. is that core of people who we're all in it together we're all struggling together and if I'm going to be you know if I'm going to try and make it as an artist it's a bit more not enjoyable. Well, they're not. Well, no, it is enjoyable. I don't well, mean the security enjoyable. in the community. Yes, exactly. I guess, is the. I think there's something quite comforting when other people are in a similar situation yeah. to you because you think, yeah, we're all we can do this exactly. And I did do. You know, I did. I did sort of exhibit sort of show work and, um, yeah, we sort of shared ideas and did kind of crits and things like this and I found sort of the sort of space spaces to kind of like work in um, and then it and then it's about trying to adapt this whole new world that, yeah. you've, that you've entered into which you know you you quickly realize the the comfort and the security of a, of a fine art department with facilities and warmth and <laughs> light and uh, tutors and time yeah. you know time yeah it's hugely important yeah. yeah so you, did you get a studio straight away when you came back I think I did I think yeah I I, um, I had a studio uh, above what used to be the old Riverside oh, right. venue yeah near Time Tees so yeah. that kind of neck of the woods and uh, it was in this kind of ramshackle there was probably about five or six that we thought about temporary walls. I yeah. had a really kind of good view, um, but the windows were kind of 
knackered and smashed and so I would sometimes sort of there'd be pigeons that would kind of get in all of that <laughs> and I shared it with Paul Moss as well right um, access was okay not brilliant but you know I, I kind of carried on kind of like making kind of work yeah and then from there I um, I seem to remember we moved house so I moved in with a couple of other friends Matt Stokes and uh, Joe Hillier uh, to a place in Big Lamp in Elzig and some other friends of mine, James Quinn and Bernadette O'Toole, who were also doing their MAs um, at the time that I was doing my graduate, uh, doing my BA course, had negotiated a space above a carpet shop right. on Elzig Road and had asked me if I wanted to rent a studio space. So I sort of jumped at that. And I was there at, um, at the studios. I think they, were, I think they called them revision studios. Yeah, I'd say five years, I think. Right. Maybe. So that's quite a, a kind of community that seems to have been really important throughout. Were you just purely working as a, an artist at that point? Or were you picking up other work along the way? At that stage, I think it was mainly um, the, um, the teaching. There was no sort of like teaching involved. I think I was doing bits and pieces of work um, but it was mainly the the nursing sort of side of things that I was doing. Right. Um, and then sort of through Joe Hillier, who I was living with, and I graduated with Joe, he had an opportunity to do some work down in Darlington um, with the festival they used to have. I don't know if they still do, but um, like a sort of procession. Right. Carnival kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And they wanted, and Joe had been approached to sort of be the lead artist. He was looking for like another another artist and he just asked me and it was like five weeks of work or something in the lead up making kind of costumes and sculptures and I jumped at it and uh, it was really good so here I am like you know having um, sort of said earlier on that I didn't have anything to do to a sculpture (laughs) and then straight in and then straight in like doing okay well you know we did a lot of uh, willow withy techniques um, uh Claddings, the sort of structures and the sculptures with yeah. tissue paper and things, but it was really good. You know, yeah. So we met different types of communities. In um, so that was working with audiences at that. that yeah, time. yeah. Well, it was kind of um, community groups, youth groups, some schools as well. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> Joe took care of most of the sort of the budget of things. I was just there as the sort of second artist right. to organise and make things double team things and that was I suppose my first forays into education work so to speak yeah Yeah. and how did that lead on to those other opportunities that you that you started to get was that just through word of mouth and through networking or you know I've done this I think it was yeah I think it was I think I'd I'd also I remember doing some things at uh, NGCA in Sunderland another contemporary art gallery um, and I just started to try and meeting kind of like people meeting people within Arts Council I think was also kind of quite important at that sort of stage um, especially sort of through exhibiting your work and the vain things that were kind of going on so we'd, we'd had a, um, a couple of shows as part of the vain uh, exhibitions at this studio above the carpet shop revision um, I just started to. Were you selling work at that point? 
No, but I do remember there was a shop in town, this kind of contemporary furniture lifestyle shop. I'm just trying to think of the name of it. Um, but maybe somebody had seen my work at, at maybe an exhibition or something like that. Um, so I had some work that went in there and I sort of sold a few paintings um, through them. Yeah. And they took, you know, 30% commission or something like that. Yeah. So each of these little things are giving you a bit more breathing space, a bit more time yeah. to do those things that you want to yeah. do. And, and at any point, were those things kind of a compromise for you? You know, like when you started to take those kind of opportunities on, were you thinking this is taking me away from the work that I want to do? Or was that just seen as another interesting thing uh, that was... No, not really. I think at the time I was just trying to figure out and find find the balance find yeah. the balance between my studio and which is really hard uh, yeah it is yeah and I'm still I'm still struggling with it now because <laughs> I, I think my temptation I just end up taking more and more stuff on and then you end up thinking well yeah yeah let's go and do some work in the evening yeah which is exactly but then you know, well, yeah of course that's up later on with children that that becomes another sort of like totally different thing to kind yeah. of deal with and manage but at the time no I don't think I thought, thought about that I think after sort of like Joe's stuff I just sort of thought well I can do that I can do the education work. Yeah. Um, I remember doing some teaching again through James Quinn, um, who had managed to get some teaching work up at Acklington Prison and Castington Prison with the YOI, yeah. which is a youth offenders yeah. prison. Um, so I'd got some summer summer work um, at the prison, uh, two or three days a week or something. That was horrible. <laughs> Just because it was really difficult, challenging, and it's not the young, the young environment. People, yeah, the young, the young people were just these these young boys who were just hard work, hard work, and just vulnerable. Yeah, uh, but thinking that they were these big criminals and, and things, and it's very difficult to try and do do something. That's quite specialist work, really. Yeah, that you, that's a kind of quite a niche. It, it yeah, it is it is a niche, but I've I've but always I've always embraced but. To be then thinking that. back to my the work that I did at the yeah. psychiatric hospital, you know, where I'm having to deal with people with split personalities and sort yeah. of, and behaviour which can be kind of physical and uh, challenging in that sense. Yeah. Um, then the prison was like, well, I could do. And then, and then <laughs> well, yeah, I could do this. Yeah. You know. And then I did. Then I did a. Um, I did like one day a week at the um, at the main prison, um, working with prisoners there, which is again very different because it's almost like a reward the education thing. So yeah. they were much more more well behaved. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are the patterns to the work that started to kind of fall your way at that point, or we? Because you you're quite diverse in the range of different projects that you take on. You, you, you know you work with lots or can work with lots of different yeah. ages and uh, backgrounds different types of community so was at any, at any point you're thinking right well I'm you know good with working with kids here or I'm good at working with a particular age range or were you just kind of happy to take on all of that stuff? well I think with Baltic for example they just I I, I I sort of figured look if I'm gonna I can't just Say I was oh yeah I only want to work with adults yeah. I only want to work with this it's like well what's the point of that yeah or I'm going to get less work yeah yeah let's see if I can it it, it just requires you it's just how you sort of deliver how you change your language yeah um, 
I can still do things with, uh, you know, year three children that I could do with adults. Yeah. It's just how you deliver that and how you sort of speak to them and what you can expect back. Yeah. Um, so why would I want to sort of specialise in that sense? And, you know, I'm a good all-rounder in that sense. I think some people do have comfort, though, don't they, when they, you know, they, they kind of stick with an age or a type of, you know, I'm, I'm a specialist in a particular area. Because you've always been really good at that. Yeah. So I've watched you change gear in, like, within a 10-minute period and think, wow, that's a pretty, <laughs> pretty rare talent to be able to do that. When you've gone from, I think it was year fives to yeah. to a much more mature audience. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. whoa. Yeah. <laughs> do you just take that for granted in that sense? Is that just something that comes naturally? No, I think, don't you take I, think I, I think I do, yeah. and Because uh, it's a rare skill. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely mean that. Yeah, I, I know you do. I think... Um, I think I also just like working with people, I think, and, and like sort of throwing those sort of challenges and, I, and those challenges can come on lots of different, if it is sort of switching from, like you say, year five to like a sort of teenage kind of like yeah. group, then uh, then yeah, I'm, I can, I'm, I'm happy to adapt yeah. and ch- change these things. Um, I do kind of reflect and learn from all of those experiences and I think that's sort of something, and also I, I'm very kind of conscious of wanting to, to deliver the best that I can I can. So I, I, I'll try to kind of keep things fresh and exciting. And Baltic, for instance, is, is a great model or example of how you can do that through co- contemporary art. Yeah. And so referencing those exhibitions and the artwork is something that I think has had a, a kind of a big effect on, on my delivery of work. Um, of sort of teaching and the workshops um, in in being exposed to kind of contemporary art and it's also kind of crossed over I think more in my own practice because mm-hmm. I don't think that kind of contemporary art my teaching of contem- or my knowledge of contemporary art during my degree was very limited yeah you know there was sort of there was which was looking back I've probably kind of like learned a lot more sort of post yeah, I, 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 I guess there's a couple of things then potentially around that model of Baltic having that pool of freelancers. Yeah. So were you in the first wave of, of that yes. pool that they advertised yeah. for and people applied and then, you know, you were assigned a school or a session? Yeah. Because I, I guess the model there is if you're working with a community group in a, in a different capacity without that basis of an exhibition program happening in the background, yeah. you have to decide what the references are yeah. that culturally that you might use to introduce them to ideas. Yeah. Whereas Baltic, there is an infrastructure there of what the exhibition program is. And it... I think, but I think more recently I've started with, with any schools work that I do have, I do tend to mould it more towards, obviously, or I sort of steer maybe the... Um, the teacher or the sort of school away from, you don't want to do that. You want to do this or this will be better. <laughs> yeah. Your children will gain a lot more from what I'm going to sort of try and do and, yeah. where, I'm, and where I'm kind of coming from, thinking like an artist as yeah. opposed to thinking like a teacher. And how does that go down? I think it's well received. I think that so much, there's very little kind of art that's delivered in sort of schools and so yeah. sometimes there is a sort of CPD element that's, depending on budgets within projects yeah, where yeah. are the, the, the real thing that always frustrates me with sort of schools is the way that you can I go into a school and 
and the classroom teacher then sort of sees it as an opportunity to catch up on some marking. Right. And so the classroom assistant will be like, I, your technique for that is very good though, I've seen you. you well, yeah, I did get like to involved of, very yeah, early on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, well, that you've got to. Yeah, and it's, that's the sort of same with kind of nanas and granddads or mums and dads who kind of come into drop-in sessions. Yeah. So I'm not here to, you know, babysit so, your children. You're going to get, everybody's going to get it, involved. It's a kind of form of disruption though that's quite interesting there. Like within, you know, you, you kind of, it's almost like you kind of shake out of the normal routine that's there of what their role is, whether it be a teacher or a parent. But it's like the sort of disruption of, or for example, people who always say they can't draw. Yeah. You know, I, I, I love that, or I love challenging that. Yeah. And I've been do, sort of doing these things recently where I've just been saying, look, there's no good drawing, there's no bad drawing. It's all just drawing. Yeah. And how you choose to <laughs> make that drawing yeah yeah you know there's lots of different ways you can make a mark on yeah. a piece of paper and uh at that point did baltic give you quite a lot of stability there through that program were, were there other things happening i wouldn't say stability i mean i was also thinking about around about kind of baltic was that at that same time i'd also been um i've mentioned about kind of arts council and, and their influence on my kind of career and um and there were certain works or sort of certain kind of paintings that people were kind of like noticing yeah. through maybe through this tempter shop and also through some studio visits as well with um, Nicholas Bournefield. He would kind of come and then Matthew Jarrett, who at the time was in a position of being, um, uh, what was it, Northern Commissions? Is that what it was? Commissions North, um, who had a really interesting kind of role where he was gathering I suppose a data a, a similar thing a, a database of artists yeah. who were kind of recently kind of graduated and selecting them for commission opportunities in public and private sectors and these were artists who didn't have any track record of public and private commissioning yeah but whose practice he saw a potential yeah. in in those particular platforms. So as someone who was sort of championing, or who sort of put your, could sort of see that in your work, that was really important. And it kind of subsequently kind of led on to him approaching me to do a commission for Northern Rock. Um, and so I put together a proposal um, with some sort of sample ideas for a, a, an atrium space as yeah. part of their new headquarters in Gosforth, and um, and I got this job. I got this got the gig. That um, was fantastic. Yeah, it was like a sort of twenty thousand pound commission. Yeah, so all in. So all of a sudden, I had this. Um, well, I had this, I had this, <laughs> massive project. I had this, project. I had this commission to do, and I and I I sort of proposed to do something which involved multiple paintings. Yeah. So it was going to be. I think I sort of said something like sort of sixty paintings um, that were going to be sort of, that were going to sort of play off of one another. Yeah. Um, and at that same time as well, I'd also um, oh that was it. I'm just kind of re- remembering things as well. We had this um, a group of us who got on to managed to get onto this entrepreneur course in Durham Durham Business School called Gleam that we'd heard about, and it was like if you go on this course, they kind of pay you. <laughs> 
to sort of go on this course, but you've got to have like a model. And so we all kind of, you know, there's a core of us, uh, about sort of three or four. Oh, we, 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 you know, we, had, we sort of suggested legitimate entrepreneurial models for what we wanted to do. Yeah. But I think we all kind of sort of secretly just wanted to be artists. Yeah, yeah. But we had to kind of come up with sort of something that might be, you know, so I don't know what I kind of had um, proposed. But anyway, it was, it was a really interesting opportunity to, to meet other kind of like people. So there was like, um, for example, there was like um, Rachel Unthank was on the course and she was doing sort of something as well. Or uh, she was doing something with her friend that involved kind of clog dancing. But probably her passion was obviously her music. Yeah. So we all had this, you know, there's a kind of core of us, but it also, but that also having that regular kind of like money, we had to sort of go once a month or something or yeah. to this group group session and there was particular sessions that were geared towards how to be your own uh, boss and managing accounts and things like that, which were all useful. Yeah, that I, I guess leads on to that, that big question about stability or stability versus freedom in terms of your own practice or how do you do you feel about that is the the thought of a nine-to-five job a little bit yeah yeah that does yeah Yeah. (laughs) scary yeah yeah i don't like that what what do you like about that idea i don't know really because because i've been so kind of like used to having this this sort of this freedom flexibility yeah this flexibility and the and the pure variety of it yeah. you know of, of, of my kind of weeks of my days it's it's hard work yeah and <laughs> and my sort of annual salary is some some years it's absolutely sort of pitiful you know I don't know how I survive you know with with two young children as well but me and Jen together somehow have, yeah. have, have figured out a formula if you like of, yeah. of, of, of getting by and, and, and finding those other opportunities whether it is sort of like teaching because I think for a lot of people, they do find that really intimidating, that kind of idea about not knowing where yeah, things yeah. are, whether, and just having a bit of faith that your reputation within that region is attracting opportunities, but also, you know, people email and say, why don't you apply for this, or have you thought about this? Or, yeah, there is there is that, and, and maybe I also could probably do a bit more of that, but things do find me... Um, that's and, a great phrase. Yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's well, it's like I mean, I mean, with the, with the commission stuff, for example, I, I you going back to that, um, which in many ways, I was like, whoa, this is great. Maybe this is where I'm going to go. Maybe this yeah. is my path as far as a, a sort of a career. I could create or respond to those proposals for public and private sector commissions. Yeah. Um, and I did do a follow-up commission for, uh, for Northern Rock, um, which again, financially was fantastic. And it kind of gave me, but then my, my studio was being used for a very different, yeah, different, yeah. different way than what I'd done previously. And I'd applied for a couple of other things after that and got some rejections, which is all part of yeah. being an artist as well, is yeah. the rejections and the failure yeah. of things. Um, and then I kind of, then I made a decision to um, concentrate more on on my practice and, and, and the exhibiting and, and 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 so my relationship to kind of workplace I think in many ways sort of like picked up yeah and 
Because we haven't sort of talked about, you know, I suppose that side yeah. of, of what I do, yeah. which is what we, we sort of started Stop talking it. about, like, yeah. I'm an artist, and we talked a lot about sort of the education, the other stuff. The other yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's, but it's sort of also sort of through that support of Paul and Miles at Workplace. Um, also, they're very good sort of, they're, they're long, <laughs> friends I've had for a very long time, yeah. Um, yeah. but they're also... I suppose one of my employers in, in some ways or, or their or supporters and patrons yeah. um, in, I don't know whether I call, call them patron, but you know, they, they'll like the, the gallerists, they probably would, yeah. <laughs> but, but continuing with that supportive encouragement of, look, we've got this group show kind of coming up, they'll come into my studio, they'll do all those sort of things that were going on at university yeah. with tutors, you know, where we will, have these very open kind of conversations about the work, testing kind of questions about the work, throwing challenges at me to and are you exhibit making, work. In, in that in that iteration of, of, of getting your work out there, are you making work specifically for those group shows or are you making your own work and then it's a case of that work being selected from a body that, of work that you might be working on at that point? It really, it really varies. I mean, I do have, uh, I have in the past had, solo shows with workplace I've had solo shows elsewhere yeah. um, where there is a kind of obviously leading kind of period or sort of something yeah. other times when they'll just sort of throw me a, a curveball and go yeah we'd like to give you a solo show in three months which is sort of like Whoa. you know <laughs> hold on yeah um, and other things where they'll just come in and maybe sort of take a few things to an art fair or something yeah. um, but always encouraging that development and pushing off the practice to make kind of like new work or bigger work and and I've had solo shows one of my last sort of like solo show well going back to I think 2014 where um, I got money from Arts Council which enabled me to sort of fabricate and kind of make new work um, was fantastic yeah. um, so so it's and and as far as exhibiting as well I've also one money uh, sort of this was sort of financial kind of gains from prize money from exhibitions that I've opened course that I've been implied uh, involved with um, and invitations to exhibit in other uh, other venues so has that relationship with workplace changed your your outlook well it, it kind of it, it, um, it gives me a, I suppose a, a kind of a credibility yeah um, when I have sort of sold everything kind of goes through the gallery yeah um, so I don't sell work independently to sort of yeah. directly to cut yeah. out cut out the middleman so to speak um, that's kind of really fantastic so I've got so the last work that I s- sold was a probably probably a year or so ago 18 months ago or sort of something to the New Art Gallery Warsaw right um, they'd seen some work of mine at uh, Manchester Contemporary Art Fair uh, and so having worked within a permanent collection yeah. which has been enabled by Workplace is fantastic for me fantastic for me fantastic for them because it is in that yeah. permanent kind of collection and so uh, and so that kind of raises yeah, my, my like probe, validation my pro- that's right exactly yeah, yeah. 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 so um so there's, I've got a lot to sort of be thankful for with kind of workplace, but it's a you know it's a, it's a very kind of open yeah. relationship. 
So throughout all of, of, of these things that we've talked about, that sense of community and, and peer community seems really important. Uh, yes, I think, I think it is. Um, and I think especially when you don't have uh, a regular job, a nine-to-five job, where yeah. you have like work colleagues. Yeah, yeah. You know, I have lots of you know, colleagues, but they're, they're uh, you know, there's, there's, there's the team at kind of like Baltic, for example. Yeah. You know, there's, um, there's Liz up at Woodhorn. There's, you know, there's my close like peer group within, uh, within here or other sort of studios. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those building those kind of relationships are really important. You talked about the influence of teachers and some of those leadership programs. Have you ever had a formal mentoring structure around you, or is that something that's been informal and been sounds quite peer led? I did. Yeah, I did. I did a like a um, oh, as far as a kind of qualification, I did something at Newcastle College for about I don't know a couple of months or something. Right. Some particular thing that I had to get to then do the work that I did at right at the prison so that's my only teaching thing yeah you know piece of piece of paper if you like or, or <laughs> certificate but are um, there people that you've that, that you've been mentored by or that you've kind of i mean you, you talked about the influence of, of those teachers that sounded like they were hugely yeah. influential are you still in touch with no it's sort of, it's, it's sort of that, quite sad really that i'm yeah I've it's sort quite of, interesting yeah um so has your focus very much been about that peer network that you've got there because it sounds like each step of the way that you've all grown up together in, yeah in a, in a sense so yeah i mean i mean i mean workplace was established you know by two friends of mine um and they're sort of stable of artists we're also that same sort of stable that kind of yeah. bank of or those network of sort of friends because who better to to sort of represent or in some ways than People, people you've people that you know, know. You, whose yeah, yeah. work you've kind of like known very much or grown up not grown up with but for many years anyway having yeah well, I guess you have kind of grown up yeah, together so yeah in well, that kind of art career yeah kind of curve yeah so you, I guess the big the big question that I would ask is is that if somebody were in a position where they were thinking about pursuing a career as an artist what what advice might you give them I think you've got to be kind of resilient. You've got to be, um, you know, you've got to have that determination and sort of like passionate and that with, within a belief in your work, I think, and realise that it is going to be bloody hard to, to do. Um, and it's a lot harder to, to, to do that away from. I mentioned before about that kind of comfort, that bubble of the art school is that, you kind of you've got to sort of cut your teeth. Yeah, yeah. When you can like that leave and be prepared to sort of sacrifice a lot of things, and it's yeah. and you sort of said before about how sort of temptation of having regular kind of like money. Well, thank you very much for your time. That's um, okay. It's been really interesting. There was quite a lot there that I didn't know about. I thought there would be. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud and Facebook using the handle Cultural Peeps. 
And if you want a bit more information about the Careers Pathway project or about any of the conversations or participants, then there's a project blog which is available at culturalpeeps.wordpress.com. 